Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you'd like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to agencygo.io to sign up today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm on with the Justin Rowe from Impactable. If you're on LinkedIn at all, and you're at least interested in lead generation or running advertising for your business, you probably have heard of him. He's really well known on LinkedIn, at least in my circle. And so I'm really happy to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. It's nice to be here, man. Part of the reason why I want to have you on the show is because I love the story, you know, and also you're a cool guy. And I think everyone's going to benefit from hearing a little bit more about a couple of different things. One, I know you're a serial entrepreneur and I know that with the agency, it was actually a pivot from restaurant business, correct? In the past, you had mentioned that that was your previous and then you pivoted in the agency world. And then you recently, I believe, sold your agency. Is that correct? Did that, did that all work out? Did that go through? Correct. I had the outreach agency. It was Link and Learn. And yeah. the, the story actually is really cool with that because this is usually the question I get asked the most for, about other founders because it's not something anyone like teaches us. And when, like when we find someone who went through it, there's a lot of questions and scenarios that we didn't think of. So I actually got hooked by a Facebook ad offering a free valuation of my business. So I got targeted. I thought it was interesting. I filled it out and immediately got a phone call that I immediately ignored. And because I don't really, I'm antisocial like that. And, yeah. uh, and then the guy texts me and said, Hey, you filled out our, our ad for, you know, our company. And are you still yeah. interested in a free valuation? I said, what's it going to cost me? he said, nothing. It's just, if you like the valuation, you know, we could try to sell your company and list it. And uh, I was like, okay, fair enough. So we went through the process. It was actually really legit. They put a number out like, and the valuation I think that's one thing that people don't really talk up, like know that much about is there's a difference between service base and like SaaS companies that's like 12 months trailing numbers and revenue and yep. bottom line profit. And it's not just like, we're at this pace now. And so now I'm worth five X right. this, like, and it's not like three to five X revenue. Like it's, you know, bottom line profit for the most part. So we put a number out there. It was more than I thought. And then his next pitch was really good too. And he said, I could list it to you for free. We have a network of buyers. We could market it for you. And I said, what's the cost? And he said, absolutely nothing. Unless you actually accept someone's offer, we'll take a percent. And I said, I really wasn't looking to sell at all. But with the numbers, the range he presented, I said, you know, if someone came to me with the top of that, like I would stop and think about it. And I talked to my wife and I wasn't out there looking. I wasn't desperate. I don't know what, I didn't have the next thing lined up, but I said, okay, sure. And in my mind, I even told my wife at this point, I was like, so, you know, someone's offered to like list our business. I'm not looking to sell. I don't think that we're going to sell. I doubt anyone's going to be like that interested. And um, so I just preface it like that. Cause at that point I was like, yeah, listed the business for sale. So I was like, (laughs) should probably tell my wife. And um, to my surprise, like two weeks in, we got like a cash offer. It was really low, like at the, at the bottom end of what the broker had, had told me. And uh, it was still more money than I'd ever had in my bank account. But the broker was like, I told them I wasn't going to waste your time with uh, with a conversation with that <laughs> nonsense. I was like, mm, thanks, buddy. 
four weeks later, they did an email blast. They did their thing and actually had like four legitimate offers. Most of them were larger marketing agencies looking to like get a LinkedIn wing and just roll, roll us up into them. Most of them would then want to like, you know, have me go do something else. They had no use for me. They had no use for like some of the members of our team. Some of them just wanted our data. Like they wanted our contact list, our client list, our booked calls list, our, you know, our advertising data. And some wanted our systems and our team because with, you know, with LinkedIn outreach, there's a whole learning curve of like, how do you even do it? What's your system for like overcoming the IP issues and the proxies and stuff like that. Right. And then I ended up getting an offer that I didn't expect. It was a data investor who wanted a majority share of the company. He wanted me to stay with the company. So the terms were that I keep a, you know, X percentage of it plus agree to a salary to stay on and run it. Plus, you know, part of my payout would be over the next two years so that I actually stayed with the company for a couple of years and then offered me additional incentives to grow the company, certain growth points after that. Right. And that was a really attractive offer to me because I had no clue. Like I liked the numbers they were putting in front of me, but I had no idea what I would do after this. So this mm-hmm. solved both of those where it was like, you could get paid for what you built. You can also just stay here and get paid to run it. Plus you could get, you know, paid out again when this company sells. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, a smaller chunk of the pie. But what I never considered is that this guy was willing, had deep connections. He'd founded a 13,000 person company, SoftServe. He had a collection of, of companies and that with him at my back, my second sale of the lower percentage would actually be probably bigger than my first exit, which I had never considered as an option. And that ultimately is, is what led me, you know, that combination of the offer is what led me to take that. So I'm now a year on the other side of that and no regrets. Um, pretty happy with the decision. I love to hear all that. That's awesome. Why you were saying all that, I had like four sort of rapid fire questions for you because I want to make this interview as information dense as possible. So just feel free to rapid fire response on these, each one of these. So first of all, can you share who the, the name is of the broker that helped you sell? Uh, website closers is the website place closers. that got I it. had gone to. Okay. Got it. So that's the first question. Second question is when I went through the valuation process for AC, one of the interesting things that I kind of was always highlighting to people. And then I kind of realized some buyers dislike this. And I'm curious to see what your experience was and maybe confirm my hypothesis, but I was always promoting the fact that we were growing so quickly. And one thing that I actually realized with the buyers of the service business, if we were to sell, was that they weren't really forward-looking valuations because the reason it's 12 months trailing is is because usually most of these people don't actually want to buy an agency that's growing super quickly because unlike with SaaS, you have so many talent hires that if you're growing a lot, you have to put so much time and resources into talent and continuing to find new talent, as opposed to if you're a stable agency growing like 30% a year and also cash flowing a ton, that's actually almost better for a lot of businesses because it creates less instability. Is that what you found was the case or was it, was it, what did you actually get any of your growth baked into the multiple at all? It's kind of a negotiation, you know, evaluation isn't like a black and white, it's a conversation and you can argue your points. That's one thing I learned. It's, it's a negotiation. And so Growth is one of those things where, you know, the buyers come in, whoever evaluates, and they want to evaluate on your 12 months prior, 
And you know, that works to their benefit. And you can show like your growth rate of this last year or the year before, and you believe that that should factor into getting a higher multiple of your cash flow. But then, yeah, if they want to remove you and roll up your team into theirs, then too high of a growth rate can actually cause a problem. It's less of an issue if they want to maintain like the owner and have you operate it. Cause then, you know, you got yourself into this, like, you know, you're going to continue to like, as long as they have the solution still in house, they're probably less worried about it. But there's also a point uh, I was being told that from an investor standpoint, there's a point of growth where growing too fast is actually really hard to do profitably where you, in order to maintain that growth and hire the assets needed, you actually have to operate, you know, a lot of companies would operate at a deficit and it's like, okay to operate at a deficit because you're growing so high. So I guess the short answer is it's, it's really fuzzy math and it's a conversation you would have, you know, with a buyer, but it's completely negotiable, like what you see and what they see. It's really interesting because, you know, with a software company, the reason I think they bake in so much forward looking growth into the multiple is because you're basically assuming that the product will stay the same in like 10 years. But if you grow a bunch and you put all your value and faith into like a certain amount of people, what if some of your team churns for whatever reason, that's not really the same company as it was previously. If 30% of your team leaves for whatever reason, it's a different company. So it's really difficult to like bank on certainty in the model with the service business is from what I found. Second thing, or third thing I want to ask you. So your company previously was Link and Learn. You guys changed it to Impactable. Is it the same business? Is it like the same LLC or is it a different LLC? It's a different LLC. He actually, the investor created a, a new company that essentially bought out our old company. And so we changed LLCs, changed names and changed focus to LinkedIn ads. And our future focus is, will be kind of a hybrid model of SaaS data and ad service. But right now our core focus is LinkedIn ads. Last question I had for you on this rapid fire is what can you share from this? Like, is there any details you can share from the actual, I mean, I know it was for a pretty good amount or at least an amount you were happy with. I don't know what the actual amount was, but it sounded like it was a solid amount. Is there anything you're able to share, like whether it was multiple or anything like that, just because a lot of people listening to the show are agency owners and they want to sell, but very few, like less than a percent that I've interviewed have actually yeah. sold. So it's really rare to get this kind of data. I got a, a 5X multiple of cash flow, which I guess is it's usually anywhere from three to five. And I got a, yeah. a 5X, the buyer didn't really argue on the price of it. In fact, funny enough, so we were a LinkedIn outreach company at the time with 90, 80% of our revenue coming from outreach. And at the time of negotiations, LinkedIn rolled out the hundred per week uh, rule while we were in negotiations, yeah. <laughs> which should have com- like really slashed the value of it. And, and one of the main reasons I was okay selling is because it was a risky business, completely unfazed because what he imagined we were going to build was not based on that anyway that's a fun fact of it. Like it really depends. Like he could have been an ass and been like, I'm going to reduce the offer by 30% due to this yeah. new risk, whatever. He didn't argue the valuation, didn't come back in and argue that after the information, it was an all cash offer. So I guess the other variables are, Ooh, it could be an, nice. it could be an all cash offer. It could be financed. It could be SBA yeah. type of finance. And we, I guess, ha- didn't have enough track record or financial, whatever, 
for our buyers to qualify for SBA loans to purchase. So that was a big factor too. Right. That because I guess that's a big thing. If if you can qualify for SBA loans, you, you open up a whole new window of buyers. But our guy was a, a cash offer. And yeah. I would say that it was a seven-figure deal, but not all paid up front. I got a a hefty check up front. I get a decent chunk a year after the purchase and another chunk two years after the purchase and the, you know, the kind of payment agreement. So the combination of everything was, was a seven figure deal. Hi, this is Lucas James. Are you struggling to get meetings booked with potential prospects for your agency? I'll tell you what, when I first started, I had the same issue, but I was able to A-B test hundreds of different variations of copy on multiple channels and figured out a secret formula to convert anyone from anywhere into taking a meeting with me. I've mastered this approach and now my agency, Twiz, books meetings on autopilot. Last year, we booked 1,731 meetings, closed 234 accounts, and generated $1.72 million in revenue. I want the same thing for your agency, so I've decided to give away some of my best performing outbound copy scripts for free. That's right, absolutely free. If you want to transform your business for free, go to agencygo.io forward slash leads to get your free lead scripts today. That's agencygo.io forward slash leads. Now back to the show. One thing that I always look at, I actually kind of been, because uh, because right now, I mean, for our agency, the sale, just for the agency, not not the SaaS component, but if I were to look just at that, uh, from the valuations we began and everything, I mean, I think we pretty easily cross like the 1.5 to sell, but I have a conversation with Christian and myself, my business partner, where we basically told each other we're not going to sell unless we can get it to two just for the agency side. So you can split it? Yeah, basically. We want to have like pre-tax, like a million dollars in our bank account. Jeez, tax is another issue, but go ahead. Or like a 60% <laughs> tax, right? Or like 55% or something like that. It's a little aggressive. If I were to go back, hire a tax planning professional like before to analyze the deal, even how they position the deal of, of yeah. what this is going to be, whether it's a, I forget, a, a gains on, because uh, they had different ways, like even the incentives and earnouts could all be classified two different ways that could majorly swing like the tax implications on it. And that's something like way over like anything I thought about or prepared for. Can you at least say, Without saying that, because that, this is an gotcha show, so you don't have to worry about it, but like, could you at least say that the money you got from the buyout was equivalent or at least something that you felt at least on an emotional level would have been more than you would have been paid at a high salary job for the amount of time you're working at the agency? There's no question for sure. And the, the ongoing negotiation of what I'm paid now to run it is higher paid than, you know, any job. Well, I guess now with my credentials, I could reasonably go out and get a, probably a decent like marketing job at a pretty nice salary, but right. that'd be a lot of time and effort to do. One of the last questions and I want to dive someone into like some of the LinkedIn ad stuff you're doing right now, but around the IP, which is what I was asking about forming a new business. I've noticed that from who I've talked to, it seems like it's kind of difficult to enforce a non-compete for uh, a service business, because there's not really a lot of IP, like you could just start another company or and launch like a different service, right? If I like, if I wanted to sell Twiz, in theory, I guess I could just say, hey, I'm not going to come directly compete with the clients I already signed, but I'm just going to launch another agency, 
separately afterwards and maybe I'll offer a completely different set of services like TikTok ads or something that I don't even do right now. So that way I'm not even directly competing. So one thing that I was curious about is because I think the market should be more liquid uh, for selling agencies. I mean, the fact that only 1% of these agencies, even though so many of them have hit millions of dollars in revenue, only like 1% sold is really small for me, I think. Yeah. And I think the market should be more liquid. I think the thing that would make the market more liquid is more education. And I think if people knew this, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but if this is the case and if this is true, I think more people would sell. That's why I want to confirm with you. Is <laughs> if you were to sell your agency, are you prohibited, do you think, from going into starting another agency? Because, I mean, it, it, you should be able to, like, get that cash flow back anyway. So, like, you could just keep building agencies over and over, flipping them, building them, flipping them, building them, flipping them, and just handing them off repeatedly, right? I mean, is that, is that not the case, or are you handcuffed in any way? There's two sides of it. There's, yeah, they, they generally would make you sign a non-compete and, you know, try to protect the IP, whatever exists. But then there's also like, there's lots of loopholes into that. Like even what I signed, there's a clause in there that says like, you know, it still can't prohibit you from making a living. They try to prohibit you from competing directly or even indirectly for like three years. And I guess that's standard. But then I guess to some degree, I mean, the enforceability of that is a whole nother issue. Like, I believe if I, I mean, I believe that I could very easily start another agency and not, you know, make my argument that I'm not competing with them. And even if I, they thought I was like, you know, the enforceability of, of them coming after me for just trying to make a living doing what I know how to do best, but you're usually dealing with people that even though you sold, like those kind of people are still, you know, a lot richer than you. And so there's the justice you deserve and the justice you can afford. So I would, I would be, this guy's the wealthiest guy I've ever like been in contact with. Um, So I would not want to cross him because he could just make my life hell. So I would be very, very careful. But I had that thought too. Like, and at first I didn't want to include, like, I was just trying to package LinkedIn outreach. I was not trying to package LinkedIn ads in the deal, but then it started to like, Earlier that year, it started to crumble to the point where I had to pack, put it in our business for if it even be a viable, like, you know, potential future business. Um, right. And then I had this thought, I was like, okay, well, there goes my backup plan. Like, what would I yeah. do? I was like, I guess, you know, I could. And then it's like, yeah, almost any marketing is indirectly competing with that. So I feel like I would just like, you know, fuck it. I'll, I'll do, I'll do whatever I need to do and cross that road. But I feel like they're only going to really come after you if you're blatantly trying to like cause trouble and compete with right. the business that you just sold, because that's just like really crappy, you know, human yeah. being type stuff. If you're trying to do something different or a spinoff and you're trying to stay in your own lane, like then it would be that very vindictive of them to come and try to squash you for just trying to, you know, start <laughs> something new. So at to some degree, I think there's a level of like respect and humanity and trust that, you know, yeah. you try to do the right thing on both sides. Totally get it. Let's end up, let's end this here by diving a little bit more into LinkedIn ads because one other unique quality of what you got going on is out of the 150 agencies I've interviewed in the last six uh, year, actually, very few of them have do do LinkedIn ads, like actually focus on that specifically. So you could definitely have a niche that you're doing well in. Can you paint a picture of the kinds of, at least for agencies, right? Like what kind of ads should somebody be running if you're a marketing agency through LinkedIn ads, would you say? So number one, the reason that most people are attracted to LinkedIn ads is because of the targeting. So I'm a well-rounded marketer. I'm like a right. 5.5 at Google and like a four and a half at Facebook. And I do decent uh, display and CTV and native. 
but I'm like a 10.5 on LinkedIn. So the number one reason people like LinkedIn is laser targeting. Like you don't need to buy your list or import it. You can target people by job title, seniority level, company size, industry. Like it's, it's super specific. And my whole theory of running ads on LinkedIn is the first initial ad to get on the radar should be pretty basic. It shouldn't try to be super fancy. If I'm running a cold ad, it should be, you know, LinkedIn ads agency. Well, I can't say LinkedIn on mine, but if I was running a Facebook agency or a Google search, I would just tell people in your cold ad, like, this is what I do. This is, you know, what are the results that we get for our clients? Or this is like the major pain point I solve with Google ads or whatever, like your agency services, like be really bland, I guess, on the cold ones. Cause you're essentially just trying to get like digital hand raisers of like, you hit the right target that should likely have a need and they're showing some interest that, yeah, they're, they're interested in what you do. And then 90% of my time is spent after that. So I don't get, I don't try to get too cute with like the cold ads. It's like, I want to target people that are likely to need LinkedIn ads. I put an ad that's pretty straightforward about what we do. They click on it and visit our website. We're not doing lead gen forms or trying to convert them right away. The only thing I care about harvesting in that initial interaction is that they're interested in what I do and they fit my target demographic. And then after that, I think the main thing that I do differently than most people in our space is that I focus most of my energies on a retargeting strategy. And I think because I came from outreach, I had these kind of thoughts of like, you know, it's really hard to overcome trust and credibility and objections through like a couple of cold messages, whether it's email or, and so ads though, give you the ability to put multiple pieces of content in front of a targeted person who already showed some form of interest in what you do. And so then most people, what they do, if they don't do any retargeting at all, or they just hit that person over the head with more ads, like we are a LinkedIn ads agency, you need LinkedIn ads. So what I decided to do is like, you know, there's three main objections to overcome with people that showed interest in what you do, but haven't booked a call. It's A, it's timing. It's not the right time. So anything you put in front of them will overcome that. So that doesn't seem like the best place place to spend your time, like, you know, just doing that because anything you do, the other two are, they don't trust you yet, or they don't believe you're the expert in your space. So I spend most of my time making ads around those objections. They've already visited my website. So now I put ads in front of them that make them view us as experts and make them trust us more. So I put case studies in front of them, testimonials, client success stories. I'll make a video and put it in front of them of just me going over our retargeting strategy, educating them on like exactly what I'm showing you, like our philosophy. And that is what tips the boat, makes them come back to our website and they feel comfortable and confident enough to book a call. So it's kind of, you know, what makes you different why are you the expert in your space and what 10 pieces of content could you put in front of every prospect who left your website? What could you put in front of them that would make them trust you enough to jump on a call? Those are the things you should turn into ads and retarget your website visitors, your qualified website visitors with like that series of, you know, content and ads. And that's kind of like my strategy. There's two final questions I'll ask you here. We'll go in light and round. We'll wrap up here. So first thing, I saw that on LinkedIn, you have a, you did a a DM me if you want this thing. And I also did that too. I I actually posted like, I I talked to a VP of sales that gave me a script that helps them close millions of dollars in revenue. Does anyone want it? And then I got like 200 people commenting that they wanted it. For you, 
you did a similar thing. You got a bunch of people commenting below. Do you have to know, just because I am curious and you deal with LinkedIn every day, and I guess I do too, but you're more on the ad side. You have to be really compliant, I guess. You know, if LinkedIn likes that or if they dislike it, because I would love to do more of those. Um, I have, I would, I, it worked extremely well for me and I assume it probably works well for you too. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they mind. And part of it's like algorithm hacking in that you're encouraging people to comment, which then makes, you know, LinkedIn think that people are engaged and like your content, which makes it show up more. And every time someone comments, it shows that to their, you know, to their, yeah, I think they like it. They're not going to discourage it. The one thing I noticed was you should probably break up like the delivery of those assets to the people. Cause I just did it like right there on the, I had a, a shareable link and I just did it right on the post section. So probably like my 150 people requesting for it then turned into 300 total comments because I was replying to each one of those yeah. and then they were applying back. So I even further encouraged it and LinkedIn like took away my ability to tag anyone for a day because I was tagging them and delivering them the link. And I did it to like a hundred people and then I wasn't able to tag anyone for a day. No restrictions. Yeah, no. Yeah, because I noticed that LinkedIn started to put a smart link thing together. I've actually been using that because I just want to stay kosher because I had my account yeah. restricted because I didn't know how to run LinkedIn ads, which is why your, your service is yeah. good. I was dumb and I, I ran the wrong kind of ad and I got my account restricted for 24 hours. I got it back, but I was like, it freaked me out. I was like, damn, I'm, yeah. do again. I'm using the smart links now because I don't want to, uh, you know, cause any issues. But are you guys using those too? Or are you just using normal links and stuff? For the most part, just normal links. I think we've we've experimented on or off, but I mean, it's probably not a bad idea to use what they encourage. I would say this, I have heard stories of people getting their accounts restricted because they are commenting too much or like we're spamming their own post. And I assume it's for stuff like this where they asked for stuff like, you know, comment for this and then they were delivering stuff. But even just like copy and pasting the same thing a hundred times, like, probably looks like spam, like even if it's on your own post. I always think in back of my head, like they were probably using automation to deliver that. And right. then they just cried and said like they were doing it manually and LinkedIn thought they were a robot. I never really believe them. That's interesting. So thank you so much, man, for being on the show. I can personally say that if anyone is trying to run LinkedIn ads, they should definitely hit you up because you don't want to get your account restricted like I did. I definitely just was an idiot and did the wrong thing. So What's the best way that people can get in touch with you, work with you, anything? How can the you know hundreds of agencies who listen to this show take action on this? Our website is in impactable.com. Uh, you can also, I'm really pushing our YouTube channel. So you can search for our impactable YouTube channel. It's like the second largest LinkedIn ads resource on YouTube. And it's something I've really been trying to grow. So those are two really good resources. Or you can search for Justin Rowe on LinkedIn. You'll probably be able to find me. I should be one of the top Justin Rose, if not. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Justin, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Justin Rose has been able to grow his agency, sell it, change it to a different name, uh, Impactable, which he's now focusing on LinkedIn ads and crushing it. So thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it.